sponsored by Playfair Capital. Rethink the way you live and work. Hello and welcome to The Chess Pit, a podcast in which three guys talk about chess occasionally. I'm John McKenzie and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Phil Makepeace. Hello. And my other good friend, Chris Russell. Hi. How are we doing, chaps? Lockdown is... um, It's happening. Dull. Yeah, it's also dull. Yeah. (laughs) We are currently locked down. We are in bedrooms festooned around the United Kingdom right now. I'm currently in Birmingham. You two are sort of London way. Yeah, I can see a tiny, tiny bit of Birmingham behind you. A sort of bedroom wall and I don't really know what that is on top of a drawer, some furniture there. I'm at my sister's house. I'm in the spare bedroom. So okay. I'm not entirely sure what it is. It looks like a an ashes urn or something. Who knows? <laughs> well, the, the ashes. Or... The, the, yeah, the ashes actually. <laughs> <laughs> being stored in Birmingham while the uh, while the coronavirus is going on, but yeah, it's been a hell for leather couple of weeks, and um, yeah, I don't think we realised a couple of weeks ago that this would be what we we would be reverting to, but we are now online. We are um, using the wonders of the internet to converse with one another, but hopefully, we've got good recording quality, and uh, you you shouldn't really notice it for back home as listeners. So, how are you guys dealing with the uh, with the online phenomena as as guys who usually teach teach face to face um yeah so i just did my first two lessons today and the it is a completely different challenge particularly the way i was doing it was that they could see me so they could see all my gesticulations but i couldn't see them i could only hear them coming down the line and that had some issues insofar as there'd just be large silences i suppose where they'd be <laughs> thinking about a task a uh, problem that i'd set them and it wasn't clear how they were getting on unless they narrated yeah yeah you have to get this sort of it's strange i've had the same thing so i've just had audio and no video link at all so we've lost something in that i think and we're trying to get it back by ensuring that we talk each other through exactly what we're thinking yeah because i've been filming my end as well so i've had a little kind of studio set up where where i'm recording the entire lesson so you, all you get is my face the board that we're looking on uh, remotely via leeches and yeah. then i've got a little kind of notepad that i can write things as we go little little topics um so i've always been able to, that's the that's the weird thing i've always been able to see myself because i've got it in the studio recording me but i've never had it so i can see them so you're not sure if your jokes are landing you can't <laughs> see their smiles well, I, I'm always appreciative of my jokes, so okay. it's always got a receptive audience, actually. But yeah, it's been very strange. Um, this, this, this is a completely different challenge, just from a operational perspective, rather than um, any kind of technical aspects. I've quite liked that challenge. I've quite, I've quite enjoyed it that you've got those positions you can automatically set them up and just flick through them, and you don't have that moment where you're bored. You have to go through the hassle of changing it to the next puzzle. I do, I do quite miss. If there's a particularly good move in a position, slamming a piece down to make sure that it's um, the the full effect of the move that I'm (laughs) suggesting, the the refutation or whatever. They should have that option on Leechess, shouldn't they? That you can click it like a kind of power click. When it (laughs) comes through, they get like a really big thump sound when your piece slams. Like pow in the background. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Fireworks go off or something. 
I've been yeah. playing lunchtime games with my friend. We use Zoom <laughs> and uh, Lee Chess as well. So that, that that's quite fun. Uh, just sort of having the, the board between us, but then seeing each other's faces as we're going along. Um, Can you yeah. still smack talk? Have you got some audio as well? Got... <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we've got, we're using Zoom. So you've got the, yeah, you've got the, yeah. the video audio. Um, so yeah. And nice. yeah, he's, he's a better player than me, but um, I've been doing all right against him. So who knows? Okay. Maybe, maybe something is sticking. Mm. <laughs> We had our first lot of uh, bonus material yesterday, didn't we, John? With um, we, we did. We, we recorded a, a beginner's guide to uh, Nepomniche Ding from round six of the candidates, and I think it went quite well. Um, so if you was that the game where Nepomniche claimed that he was happy with the draw beforehand, he wasn't feeling so well, and then just took him out and won nicely. <laughs> yeah, pretty much uh, matched yeah. him into the floor. Yeah, he said that yeah. he'd been very happy. He, he, during all during the press conference, he was coughing really quite violently. He do mm. he's had he's had tests apparently, and he's he's fine, but fine from a sort of global perspective, <laughs> presumably not fine from a Nepomniche perspective. Um, yeah, he's not going to kill the, the whole population of Ekaterinburg, but yeah, he's he's not going to be in a great state himself. Yeah, but despite that, he played a really nice game. It looked like yeah, he did. It was very controlled. Um, there was some stuff near the end where Ding had this incredible resource. And if you wish to see this resource, you may go to the Chess Pit Pod YouTube channel. Nice plug. I liked it. Twitch channel. Sorry, Twitch, Twitch channel. Twitch channel. Um, Not such a nice plug then, <laughs> if we've the wrong format. Nepomniche, for sure, was... It was one of those things that Nepomniche was not that bothered about having this drawing resource pointed out to him. I think I think his exact words were, well, if he should see this, then he should be thrown out of tournament. It was that. <laughs> oh, is it some huge computer? Yeah, it yeah. was that okay. computery. Um, yeah. In terms of um, killing people, um, but one of our <laughs> one of our club mates, Reese, has um, set up this website. How many people will you kill? dot com. Um, which is designed to show the effects of um, exponential functions of an effect. Of it's it's quite a, it's quite a good little um, simulator, and of course it's very grim. But yeah, this is about coronavirus. So you plug in like where you are and how many people are in the party that you're hanging out with, and what the average age is, and then tells you how many people are going to get infected and how many people are going to die. Yeah, it's pretty pretty chilling. That is quite something. So have you plugged in the candidates yet? <laughs> should, should we do that? I'll do that now, because I can tell you that there was a, a Middlesex League match between Muswell Hill and Hackney, which would have gone ahead last week had everything not been shut down. And that would have killed 4.5 people. Oof. Ridiculously. So let's let's now do this for... Uh, it doesn't have Russia, by It doesn't have Russia. Let's, so what's, what's closest to Russia in terms of population <laughs> and maybe... Norway? Well, no, no, Russia's got an enormous population. Um, what about... Yeah, but Norway touches Russia. I was thinking geographical location. USA, presumably. Okay, let's, go, let's do USA. Um, what kind of state? Somewhere... I don't think the Russian... Russia don't have it too badly, do they? So. Let's say Maryland. <laughs> um, I think you'll find it's pronounced Marilyn. All right. <laughs> Eight people attending. Average age of... We did this the other day. It was about 27, wasn't it, Chris? Yeah, that seems right. It's sort of Grischuk's the outlier on one end. If you assume it's just the players, then they're going to kill 0.3 people. If you put in, say, how many arms? one leg or something? So it's going to be 0.3 of which player are we going with here? <laughs> well, maybe Ding's already had 0.3 of him go because he's not been with it at all. Um, His soul has gone up to the chess heaven. Let's say 25 people. That's going to kill 2.8 people. That's quite a lot. Where did we get 25 from? 
in terms of officials and hangers on yeah seconds plus arbiters plus interviewer i think that's a reasonable number yeah the interviewer you really got to feel sorry for every time she's doing that interview every day i'm like Phew, lathering on that hand sanitizer <laughs> should we talk a little bit about the candidates yeah, I thought we should do a little recap because we're nearly halfway. It would be remiss of us to not take the mickey out of you for the championing of Anish Giri. Well, hold on. I mean, Ka- Kavarana was <laughs> also owning on three out of six, to be fair. Yeah, that's yeah true. we've so, both fallen three off the lead already. And my claim uh, that Neponichi was going to win it, it's looking great now, isn't it, really? so. Did you actually make that claim? <laughs> I, I did not. We're having some revisionist history here, are we? <laughs> I still cannot properly pronounce his name, so but I know he's the one with a with a top knot rather than a man bun. Chest chest24.com's uh, commentary team keep referring to it as a as a man bun, but it's it's not, it's a top knot. So um I've been I've been quite disappointed with their coverage. I mean, how can you trust someone's chess intuitions and, and knowledge when they don't even know the the difference between a man bun and a top knot? That's what that's what I want to know. <laughs> We're at the midway stage, are we? Not quite. Uh, we've had six rounds out of fourteen. But today is uh, we're recording on the rest day, and yeah, it's been very. Every game, it looks like anyone could win every game. That the form is is very very strange. It's been very open at the moment. It seems mm. to me. But I was saying to Phil the other day that because I think my my biggest experience or exposure to this kind of championship chess has been the Caruana Carlson game. I just assumed that everyone was just going to draw every game over and over and over again when it's really not happened that way. So I think I'm maybe a little bit a uh, little bit misunderstanding or in terms of the the overall context of it. But but there we go. Um, do you guys think that Nepo has a chance? Um, I think there's the I, I had a look before and there's a few examples of him getting quite far ahead in tournaments and then sort of falling away at the end. Do you think that that's likely to happen? It's a possibility. I think the pressure will build uh, round by round if he stays out there in front and that might have an impact on the way he can play. And yeah, we do know that he potentially uh, doesn't have that consistency, but also it's a big lead already um, and it's hard to see anyone else in the field who's really putting together a sort of challenging performance yet in a way that everybody else has been uh, letting go of good positions. I know Giri is one of those. He's created a lot of his great prep and he's created a lot of good positions, but hasn't then finished them off. I guess you should be talking about Giri. Well, I assume you've been following him quite closely. Yeah, I'm still confident with my pick. Um, because he's done, he's done everything I wanted him to so far in terms of beating Alexienko. He just happened to lose to Nepo. Yeah. I can see Giri finishing on at least eight for sure. He's on 50% okay. now. He needs to beat Alexienko again. And then he, I still think he might. Grischuk has got lucky so far. And so far, he's never had anyone really take advantage of his time trouble. Uh, MVL missed a big opportunity earlier in the week to. And Fabi had chances yesterday as well, didn't he? Fabi was looking good around move 30, 35 or so. Yeah. No, no one's quite managed to pull the trigger just before the time no. control. To what extent do you think that his his time control issues actually do have a, a material benefit when you get to the 40 move mark when suddenly he has a whole amount of more um, uh, time on his hands and, and presumably he's thought about his position quite extensively? Is, is that is that just a naive thing? It's the if bit though. It's if he makes it to move 40. And that's right. the problem is he's got that little window between move 25-ish and move 40 where he's got next to no time and he's got to still hold things together and he very nearly went wrong yesterday um in that window where he turned quite a promising position into a barely hanging on kind of position with white yeah mm. so should we just sum up for now so at the moment nepomnichi is clear on four and a half out of six and then mvl is on three and a half and i think everyone else is on 
three apart from um, Ding and Alexeyenko are both on two out of six. I think that's correct. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Ding, forget it. There's no way he's going to be getting, what, he'd need six and a half out of eight to finish? Yeah, I think that seems kind of unreasonable. But, but do you still think people on three out of six have got a chance? Absolutely, because they all need to play Nepo at least once. So that would yeah. that would mop up two of those three, two of the plus three they've um, conceded so far. Nepo, I mean, what do we think the winning score is going to be? Because if Nepo continues yeah. to play the way he's played, he's going to get 10, you know. Um, mm. But I can't see... Well, we looked back, didn't we, that plus four was a winning score. Plus four or plus three, usually, in this format, in the past, has been a winning score. Yeah. So he might already be there if he halves out from here. That's true. Um, well, alternatively, if he picks up all those points and then drops away, then the winning score presumably would be a lot lower than than usual. But he can't. It can't be much lower because it. I mean, if we're thinking that eight and a half is going to be good, plus three, then it can't be any lower than plus two. Really, you're looking at eight and a half probably being good for at least a tie. But plus four definitely should be enough to win by yourself at this rate because. That would require, if it's not going to be Nepo, that would require MVL getting plus three from here or anyone else getting plus four, at least. That would be a serious finish, but, plus four from the last eight games. But it also completely depends on, I mean, Nepo is clearly not very well. He'll have, mm. he'll have been looking forward to this rest day, for sure. Anyone else, Giri has taken momentum into the rest day and may then lose it. He was the only other one to win yesterday. I think it can work both ways. Sometimes I've found in tournaments with the rest day that you, if you lose just before the rest day, you've got too much time to think about it and you kind of want to play another game and get back into form. Uh, and sometimes if you win, you want that other game as well because you've kind of got it going and you want to play. So I don't know. Who do you think is going to be happiest on the rest day? Well, obviously Nepo, but apart from him. Um, Grischuk, maybe. I mean, he's not, he's not very... Because he survived. Yeah, because he's just, he's had almost zero motivation by the sounds of it. And he's still very much in the mix. And if he can, if he's used today to pick himself up and go, right, sod it, let's get going. There's mm-hmm. absolutely no reason why he can't get at least plus three. He's been, he's probably played the second best behind Nepo so far, I'd say. Because there's mm. been some, he's been, he's had some uh, very dodgy positions, but he's done that in spite of taking an hour over one move on at least three, in at least three of the games. Mm. So he's clearly he's... sort of clued, he's got, he's got his uh, sort of instincts correct at the very least. His time control against Caruana was was wild. I mean, Caruana mm. was on like one hour forty, and he was already down to like twenty minutes. It's just mad. I don't, I don't quite understand it because surely just comes a point where you're just reiterating your your position over and over and over in your head. You can't be thinking new things all the time in that moment. In that moment, mm, maybe I could imagine that it was quite a complicated position and one that Caruana had obviously prepared well before and was still banging out these moves at about sort of five or ten seconds each that they were just coming from his prior knowledge. So with that in mind, you probably do want to double and triple check things and just be really careful and try to construct a plan early on. Because if it started to unwind a little bit right out the opening, he's got a long and difficult task ahead of him. How are you feeling about your pick, Chris? Mr. Mr. Fabi, Mr. Caruana? Um, I was optimistic on a round move 35 yesterday. That if he'd won that game and been back to plus one and only two behind, that um, that felt like he was still very, very in with the chance. I wonder now if catching up this uh, plus three that he's got to... It feels a bit too far to me. I don't know. The issue that he's got and that all the other players, all the non-Russian players have, is that it's unclear how they're going to get home afterwards. 
Oh, yeah, he he did talk about that, didn't he? That's absolutely going to be part of their thinking. It's impossible mm-hmm. not to be. Um, yeah. Caruana was saying that there's, it's not clear how he's going to get back to America. Likewise, the Chinese players weren't sure. MVL mm-hmm. wasn't sure. Um, there's definitely advantage that Nepomnichi, Grishchuk and Alexienko, though Alexienko is definitely not going to win this tournament, uh, have over <laughs> no. the rest. That but maybe he'll not lose by as much as he could do. He's done all right so far, to be fair. Yeah, he's been impressive, I think. He's done okay. Uh, yeah. He lost to Geary in a 98-move, 77-hour game yesterday. And he got, well, he got actually beaten up, really, by Caruana. But and he's looked fairly comfortable in the others. He's, he's Yeah, uh, yeah. it must be so much pressure for him to be in. It's it's a horrible situation, really. I mean, whilst being great that he's got the chance to do it. but Well, he said himself that he doesn't, he isn't entirely sure that a wild card is the best way of doing things. I think he was slightly embarrassed to be there, really. Um, mm. It's like me at 4NCL. <laughs> <laughs> Having to take halves off 12-year-old kids. <laughs> or, or leads in the Premiership, well, next season. Ooh. but It'll be next season, but it no, might... Pipe down. Let's just wait and see what Annie Shkiri's <laughs> doing in the next few weeks, all right? It might, yeah, be 2022-23. <laughs> who knows? Are Leeds going to sign Annie Shkiri? Is that what's coming next? Well, because they probably only need yeah. to halve out to get go up at this rate, yeah. <laughs> Disgusting. I want to talk about Nepo versus Carlson, because obviously that's that's an interesting prospect, right? Because I, I believe Nepo has a decent record against Carlson in classical chess. Does he actually even have a plus score, I think? I think he has four to one. Wow, which seems mad to me, but um, I I may be I may well be um, misrepresenting that, so that should be fact checked. But um, what would you think of a of a Nepo Carlson World Championships? That would be quite a fun prospect, I think. No, it'd be interesting for a spectator, wouldn't it? Yeah, if Nepo plays the way he's doing so far, there's absolutely no reason he couldn't compete. Mm. So wh- why has he just suddenly come out of nowhere then? Because it it does feel as though most people didn't really expect him to be on the sort of form that he is. He's profited from. Ding! It didn't feel like a game of um, a sort of ding game yesterday. That he fell apart a little bit, and so he's profited from the others' mistakes, which I guess will happen in this format sometimes. Um, but do you think he's really coming out and playing at a level that's above everyone else in the field at the moment? He's the only one who hasn't blown up. Okay, which I think is quite important, as important as anything else. But how much of that is to do with like we've talked before about lack of pressure, but also the fact that if he's feeling a bit ill, he's just like, well, you know, whatever, I'll just go for it and see what happens. Um, I don't know how much that comes into it. Certainly doesn't come into my chess games because <laughs> I go in with that attitude all the time. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just fact checking your thing. Yeah, you're you're quite right. Nepo's beaten Carlson four times at classical time controls, and Carlson's only beaten him once. However, mm. two of those were when they were kids, so it's two to one, really. Is Nepo older than Carlson? Uh, that's a good question as well. Carlson seems older than Nepo, but I think Carlson seems older than his age. How old did you say he seems? Carlson. Had to, yeah. I don't know. He just he he's like. He, he's like someone who hasn't lived a childhood, right? That's how I always think of Carlson. It's it's almost like, you know, he's almost like Michael Jackson in that regard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's maybe an incongruous comparison, but do, do, do you know what I mean? Like with, with Carlson, I get the impression that he's, I don't know, he, he seems young and old at the same time. So I find him quite hard to read. Whereas um, Nepo, I just, he just sort of looks like a 35 year old bloke to me. <laughs> I have no idea how old he is. Nepo but. is four months older than Carlson. Okay, so he's 29. Mm. Yeah, they're both 29. So I think you probably can count those junior results to some extent if they're still kind of... I don't know. I wouldn't want to be reading into the European Championship under 12s. Um, <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe that's slightly too far. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what I mean by kids. These were the European under 12s and the world under 14s. All right, that is a long time ago. 
Hey, look, I count all of my results against under 12s as, as being very important, all right? So let's have <laughs> let's have less of this attitude towards under 12 chess. <laughs> we presumably all, all think that Carlson is much better than Nepomniche, though, right? Yeah, and I think he's got the bonus of that extra match play experience too that he's had this world championship matches a whole series of them that he keeps winning and that's going to give him even further edges so in any of those marginal situations he'll be able to bring that to the table too Uh, but yeah I would expect that to be a a relatively one-sided match and Carlson presumably pretty happy with the idea of playing Nepo Mm. has he talked about it at all on Chess 24 I know he's done some commentary there I haven't listened, but um, I'm sure you could dig that commentary out from somewhere. He did. I think he was on Chess 24 Norway today. How is your Norwegian? Well, you know, it's getting there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I couldn't pick up that much. One other thing is that Nepomniche has never beaten Carlsen at Rapid or Blitz. Mm. Mm. Carlsen has a very good record against Nepomniche at Rapid and Blitz. The Chess and Carlson's done how many world champs now? So he's just like an old hand at it. Um, whereas for Nepo, four, it would be yeah. a huge, it would be a huge thing, and everyone would be playing yeah. up as this is this is an outsider. No one expected him to get through. Um, he won't have another chance probably to get into this or whatever. I'm sure. I mean, whether or not that's true, I don't know. But he would certainly have the pressure put on him by the media. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Mm. Well, we should probably move on from from talking about the the candidates. Although we could probably talk about it for a, a lot longer. Should we do a quiz? Yeah, we should, actually. We're supposed to do that at the beginning, aren't we? Yeah, oh well. But we've got plenty of time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, so it's a candidates-themed or world championship-themed question. Um, so what used to happen uh, bef- between, after so history lesson, 1993, um, Kasparov and Short break away from FIDE to play their world championship match under the auspices of the PCA, the Professional Chess Players Association. And what you had was a for 12 years a boxing style world champion dual world championship setup where the classical one which Kasparov uh, kept winning until he lost to Kramnik in 2000 and then Kramnik was the PCA world championship thereafter ran alongside Fide's own version which was initially Karpov and then as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, there was a big FIDE knockout, what is now the World Cup, but that counted for the FIDE World Championship, and that was held on an annual basis for a long time. Um, Does that mean that the the only one person from each nationality could enter? No, it was just very similar, sort of top 128 in the world or some kind of zonal system qualifiers. Um, yeah, so... And straight knockout. Straight knockout and no... But it was... You get sort of proper matches towards the end. But I have a question about the 1999 version of this. So the year before Kasparov and Kramnik played their match in London, FIDE had their own world championship. Who won the 1999 FIDE World Championship? Who could declare themselves world champion for that year? And that's it. That's simple. Mm. It is not a name that you'd you'd sort of is synonymous with the great players. Oh, well, this puts me in really good stead then. Yeah, I'm sure I've got the edge here. This was the issue with it in that because of the and this is this is quite relevant to what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago with how would it change the world championship if you if it was based on the World Cup or if it was a straight knockout? You could get these kind of Wimbledon style years mm. where all the top players get knocked out early, and that's pretty much what happens here. Uh, in 1999. Are we allowed to guess now, or is it something that we'll come back to? This is something you can dwell up on, and then I'll, okay. we'll reveal all at the end. 
so we should move on to talk about chess in the time of coronavirus. Mm. Um, we've we've talked about chess coaching in the time of coronavirus, but um, we should talk about chess more generally in, in the time of coronavirus. Um, I'm not entirely sure what who put this topic in there, but um, I'm I'm at the moment writing a piece about esports in and the boom that has been happening in esports. We all know that um, on top of this, uh, Lee Chess, our good friend Lee Chess, is not being able to deal with the the added. I'm traffic. sorry for Lee. Yeah, poor Lee. He's been overworked, really. Um, it goes from people not having any work to do to poor Lee having to flog his guts out. But he seems to be doing okay <laughs> now. Um, and similar things have been uh, seen across the esports world, where we've seen um, maximum or records being smashed left, right, and centre. CS:GO had over a million players on its platform at one point um, in the last f- week or so. So we're we're seeing like what is going to be a boom in esports. So I, I, su- I suppose the topic of conversation is: Are we going to see a boom in chess as an online? sport i think so i think it's already happened um and what's happening at the moment is the four ncl are trying to move their operations online nothing official official uh, it's not going to be fide razor or anything but they're doing their best to offer the same kind of um inter-club or intra-club challenge that the four ncl offers we played in a match uh, between Muswell Hill and Hackney at the weekend, which was that fun. was great fun actually. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. So we had a kind of team format on our friend Lee's platform, <laughs> and what you do your tournament is structured so that you can only play against players from the other club, and you're playing a sort of arena for two hours. We did of five minute chess, and you get paired up against players from the opponent's team, and then your top five scorers from your club contribute to your team score. Uh, and that was great. It reminded me of primary school cross country. That used to be the case where the top five in in your inter house cross country only the top five would count, and you'd have the the lowest the lowest total um, would win. So if if your if your house came first, second, fourth, sixth, and seventh, you'd get a total of eighteen points or whatever it is. No, twenty points. Um, yeah, and that was how it was how it was done. It was kind of similar to that where it was only the top few who'd. Uh, yeah. beat, but the other but the point is that the others in your team can make up the can by beating the other players can still contribute so it's not all about yeah they can knock out people's win streaks and affect their total scores as well yeah because that's what when i was in year three or four that was my kind of job was because i was never going to be in the top five in my school uh, when we did into school stuff but i could still in the sprint finish even though i was eighth or ninth in the school you could try and trip up as many (laughs) (laughs) yeah you guys always make chess sound like it's Harry Potter to me. <laughs> Everything sounds like the Triwizard Tournament whenever you talk about it. Yeah, in terms of going online, absolutely. We've the the numbers on Lee Chess, the numbers on Chess.com have been phenomenal, and how everyone seems to be doing it as well. You just there's just so much more traffic on Twitter, especially with people posting whatever they're they're playing and what their games are, just simply because there's yep. there's very little else to do. Uh, in terms of chess as a more general thing in the time of coronavirus, I've just seen the news that uh, FIDE have postponed the Olympiad this year to August 2021, which in theory, August 21 is when the World Cup would be, not the Olympiad. The Olympiad is basically the World Cup for countries, the World Cup, which determines two of the qualifiers for the candidate cycle, in this case in 2022. Presumably that will be postponed as well. So this might actually have this knock-on effect. Oh, where it, so the whole World Championship cycle is getting pushed back as well. It looks like it, yeah. Unless they can have the unless they can have the World Cup later that year, later next year, and I don't know, October or November. But it, it seems unlikely. Do we have any news of what the football equivalent of this is? So I know Euro 2020 is now 21. Yep. 
But they're still calling it Euro 2020. Oh, okay. <laughs> because they've basically produced all of the merchandise, so they have to keep it the same name, <laughs> as far as I can tell. Yes, yeah, so it's like the reason they don't they don't rename tube stations anymore, because they just have to change millions of pounds worth of signage, even if some yeah. stations are complete nonsense at the moment. Um, yeah, the, the Euros moving to next year is going to have a massive effect on the women's Euros, which is due to be in, in England and Wales next year at the same time. And that's going to really undermine it, unfortunately. I was really looking forward to going. Mm. Um, there's definitely there's one England match at um, I think the new Brentford Stadium which I was looking forward to going to but I, I can still go it's just going to have a real dampening effect on the women's game unfortunately I'm sure there's a way that they could go around that so that they did like double headers that would be a really clever way of doing it I'm sure they won't do that but well no because um, they, well yeah. yeah but then you'd, you've got what a pan euro euros men and then only England and Wales doing the yeah. I suppose, what do you mean as in doesn't matter where they are they just put the matches on before. yeah yeah i don't know they tried that with cricket and it didn't really work because people just tune out after the men's game or don't bother tuning in until the men's game <laughs> no, it's, yeah. it's it's a sad thing um so yeah this is big news that um fide have basically followed the ioc's tune who have postponed the olympics to next year as well and yeah. the olympiad will not happen this year so can they not just play these tournaments online? Like, surely. It, it comes back to our point last week that all the anti-cheating uh, measures and all of this stuff that's necessary for it, uh, I imagine, would be too difficult to implement. Can't they just have a camera on their laptop to show that they're not cheating? Yeah, but you could have Maybe. someone in the room with them just sort of writing things on a whiteboard when you can't police everything. You'd have to have an arbiter in each room. And in each bathroom as well, presumably. And in each sink. You have arbiters in bathrooms, do you? Well, I mean, okay, that's true. <laughs> but you do have like... A... Leave your proclivities out of this, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not have a, an arbiter in every room? Like, you could do that. So, wait, you mean every single player who's playing in the Olympiad has their own personal arbiter? Well, not personal, because that would probably be problematic at some point, wouldn't it? But, yeah, why not have just the person who's playing does it from home and then you send around your, an arbiter, rent an arbiter? Um. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the world blitz going to online. Hmm. That's true. Can't cheat in blitz. Much harder. I've tried. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't tried. I haven't tried. When you lose as much as me, cheating doesn't make much make much point. You don't think there's any chance that they could just do it online? No. Not the classical format. No. No, it seems very difficult to organise. It's too reliant on you know. If you have someone has just a bad internet connection, then what are you supposed to do? Then you lose. Obviously, snooze. You lose in this game. Yeah, I mean, this, be, this... can imagine if someone big lost on on an internet connection, internet technicality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but in classical, like an internet connection wouldn't be that much of a problem. Times never really like unless you're Mr. Grischuk. Mm. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. need an internet connection. <laughs> he's well, he's going to play by <laughs> yeah. I don't know, play by owl or something. He could have a power cut for an hour, and it wouldn't affect his game. <laughs> uh, right? Have we got any history? We do. There's a little bit of history today. So it is the 24th of March that we're recording on. And on the 24th of March in 1946 uh, was the demise of the uh, death of Alekin. Alekin? 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 How do you want to say Alekin. that? Alekin. Alekin. Alekin? I don't know how you want to say that. Uh, but um, so he was, I don't know, John, your knowledge here. So I'll give you a quick run. Just this crazy move, right? Which is like, is it C3 with a knight for for an opening move? F6. Uh, F6. E4 oh, knight okay. F6. Is the Yeah, so he's got that. 
Okay. That named after him. And he's also got a manoeuvre called Alakine's Gun, which is where you put your queen at the back, rook in front, and a rook in front of that. And you kind of line them all up on one uh, file and fire them off into your opponent's position. Um, so that's named after him too. And also there's a video game I found out. Uh, our friend <laughs> our friend Rick told me that uh, there's a video <laughs> game of entitled Alakine's Gun, uh, which has got nothing to do with chess. It looks like it's a first-person shooter instead. Oh. Uh, but... <laughs> That's quite but cool. There's that. Uh, so it was. Um, so he died on the 24th of March, and our friend Rick tells me some more about that. So that's a. Uh, I don't know if you've heard any of this story, Phil. Uh, there is. So the official um, is. It's attributed to a heart attack. However, there is some uh, speculation and yeah. skullduggery and shenanigans here. Um, whether there was some sort of political motivations and bits attributed to that, which I I didn't know anything at all about. So he died in Paris. Me. Is that correct? Uh, Portugal. Portugal. Okay. He was living in his grave is in Paris. So that's ah, what there we go. Because he was living in France um, at that, but there he was in a hotel in Portugal. So what's supposed to have happened? Like the the Russians just sent someone. To well, that's what his his off. son claimed. His son's uh, the quote is that the hand of Moscow reached his father is a quote from Alexander Alakin Jr., which I also didn't know that his son shared his name. There we go. Um, hmm. I have no particular opinions about the death of Aliakin. This isn't. Maybe maybe there should be a. Um, you've seen the death of Stalin, right? Um, maybe <laughs> there should be a film uh, the, with um, lots of sort of British actors playing Russian roles. Um, the, you could have that absolutely. I'm currently on the on our friend Rick's Tycho Brahe page. Um, Tycho Brahe was a Dutch. No, was he is Danish? It, is this the astronomer? Yeah, the astronomer well, Tycho Brahe, because yeah. he's like one of the funniest people. He's got he's got a funny death story, but I I confused it with the, the death story of his of his tame elk. He had a tame elk, <laughs> um, and yeah. So Pierre Gassendi wrote that Tycho also had a tame elk, and that his mentor, the Landgrave Wilhelm of Hesse Kessel, asked uh, whether or not there was an animal faster than a deer, and Tycho replied that there was none, but he could send his tame elk. And when Wilhelm replied that he would accept one in exchange for a horse, Tycho replied with the sad news that the elk had just died on a visit to entertain a nobleman at Landskrona. Apparently during dinner, the elk had drunk a lot of beer, fallen down the stairs and died. So, gosh, there's a fun death story to Good grief. to regale your friends with. <laughs> the stories of dying drunk elks. Anyway, Thank sorry, that was, that, was a, that was a very strange segue, but um, every time I hear of strange death stories, I'm always reminded of that one. <laughs> Um, and if we could go from there into my silly question if you want which is not so much a silly question today it's more of a it's an interesting question I think but a a candidate themed one Um, and that is this imagine that instead of playing as as individuals um, in the candidates you play as uh, pairs and I wanted you to double up each one of the players of the candidates so that you've got the best chess player possible or the best um, or the most uh, compatible pairings, I think, at, at the candidates. So, uh, how would you go about doing that? How are we doing this? Are we doing this as hand and brain, or what? Or they can um, they can talk to each other. Can they each play a different phase of the game? Could I have someone playing the opening for me, and then someone else tags in for the rest? My thinking was like, how would you? Who would you put with someone like Grishuk to make them less problematic in terms of time control? Or um, who would you? Who would you want to put with someone who's maybe not as good a calculator um, to to give them a sort of edge in another area or something like that? So, are they alternating moves or what? They are telepathic. Oh, so they're sort of discussing moves, but 
they are at one. There is a marriage of minds. But who's playing um, the moves? It doesn't matter. Well, it does, They're I think, because are. if... It's you, like the Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> but if you give a complicated position to Grischuk, he's going to spend 50 minutes. He's going to spend half your time thinking about it, whereas <laughs> Caruana might just play the practical choice and put the pressure on his opponent. Okay, so you're putting them together and you're coming out with the average of those two things. So this is kind of the this is the force of my question. Like, how, who do you th- which player do you think would benefit another player if you could mash them together and make one player? Um, who do you think mm. would be the best pairings that you could mix together? The thing is, th- these eight players, they obviously they have um, different characteristics, but they're not so far removed from each other. Like, there's no one playing complete wildcard madness. You've got no like Ivanchuk or Zhobova or Morozovic in there. I think I'd say they all have very similar styles. Actually, would you agree, Chris? I don't know. To an extent, yeah, I'd agree that there's nobody who's just really outside the box doing all sorts of nuts stuff. But I think they've got their characteristics. I like John's point that you could. I'd like to see a sort of combo player that was as well prepped as Giri, but maybe had the technique of a Ding or a Caruana to rely on in the middle game or end game. Okay, because yeah, my main concern is that Grischuk is just going to find himself, his creativity nullified slightly, but also okay. but also you'd nullify the, the time pressure. So maybe maybe he actually has longer to think about stuff. <laughs> are we That's are we basically possible. doubling Grischuk's <laughs> clock by giving him the av- someone else yeah. to average out with? Yeah. Mm. So come on then, you've got got eight players to pair up. Um, I would put Caruana with Grischuk because I think he'd calm him down a bit. Yeah, I was thinking about that pairing as well. I think that would yeah. be quite nice that you'd get a bit of extra prep from Caruana and you'd get a little, a much better time management from Caruana, but you'd get some really interesting new novel approaches from Grischuk that it would make him even more dangerous to play against this kind of dual beast of a player. So is the, th- is the thinking that Grischuk is taking so long because he's just not prepping? No, he's definitely prepping. He's just also, when he gets into an unfamiliar position, his response to that is never to trust intuition and always to kind of raw calculate and put in the time and really try and work everything out. Okay. I'd then put Nepo with Ding because I think actually they play fairly similar kind mm. of stuff and I think they'd just be a massive help to each other that their weaknesses would be cancel each other out maybe. Um, I'd like to put Giri with Alexienko then because partly just to tilt Giri and <laughs> partly because I think they would actually suit, suit each other quite well in their styles. I think Alexienko's got a good sort of when you put him in front he, he can play those sorts of positions but he's been struggling a bit when he's gone behind okay whereas uh giri will get you in front with his opening knowledge so i think that might be a good pairing too who does that leave us with wang hao with mvl mm, that would be quite a tasty partnership as well they could create some fun positions yeah i like that all right let's stick with those four you happy with that, Phil? Yeah, why not? <laughs> Pure, it's purely hypothetical, so... <laughs> that worked out quite easily. I thought there would be a little bit more give and take, but there we are. We should cover the answer to the quiz. Any ideas, Chris? I was really hoping it is the one of these World Championships that I know a tiny bit about. So is this the one that involves Mickey Adams? No, that was 2004, oh, where dear. Adams lost to Kazim Jarnov in the That's final. That's the one I know a little bit about. Isn't so Mickey Adams I... a... 
darts player. He was also former was he Brighton manager or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, English chess players have the most bland names, don't they? They really do. Hmm. But we did that when you did the list of all the British GMs. It sounded like someone on a on a on a very um, advanced stage of football manager where they were regenerating League Two players. <laughs> There's a couple of good ones though. I like Stuart Conquest. That's a good one. Yeah, Stuart Conquest. That's great. Uh, uh, it's like the uh, the epidemiologist in America called Larry Brilliant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Such a good name. Uh, is it a British player? No. So Adams got through to the semi-finals in 1999, where he lost to uh, Vladimir Akopian, who then played this guy and lost three and a half, two and a half in the final. Uh, the guy who won it, who we're going to get to, beat uh, Nisipiano in the semi-final and Polgar in the quarter-finals. It's a weird semi-final. A- Adams had already, already beaten Kramnik 4-2 in the quarters. Oof. When you say when you say Polgar, which one? Judith. Judith. Yeah. Mm. The others have stopped playing by then, really. What about their dad? Did their dad never play? I guess he was old by this point. <laughs> no, their dad, their dad was never was a world-class player, no. Okay. Any ideas, Chris? Is is there somebody who's still uh, an active GM nowadays and playing on these sorts of circuits? Uh, let's have a look. I don't <laughs> think so. I think that answers your question. His right? rating now okay. is twenty six oh eight. Given he oh, was useless. But, yeah, his, <laughs> How but his, embarrassing. His, this guy's peak peak rating was twenty seven oh two in two thousand and one, which is obviously very decent. And he regularly played. Um, top couple of boards in the Russian Olympiad team, but you ah, would never say that he. Russian. You'd never say that he was. Um, mm, well, we tricked elite. him into it. We tricked him into some uh, information. Russian doesn't help us too much though, because you've got quite a few Russian GMs. To choose <laughs> yeah, from. that's true. Um, <laughs> Does his name end in of? No. Does his um, name end in ev? No. Does his name start with a K? Yes, starts with a K. Does it end in itch? <laughs> no. Carpaloy. Uh, that's not a name. Korchnoy. <laughs> Formerly of that parish, no. <laughs> it's down to you, Chris. Korchnoy did play in this. He was 17th seed at the age of... How old was he at he this He was point? nearly 70, which is just <laughs> ridiculous. That's incredible. Um, I'll be impressed if I can still get out of bed at 70. <laughs> Maybe he didn't. Maybe he played the tournament. Like, <laughs> Maybe uh, Tony Miles did, yeah. Korchnoy lost to Kramnik in the last 32 of this. How old was Kramnik? I don't know, Kramnik would have been young. 24, yeah. So he was quite good at this point. Was he just about... Well, he was the number one seed. He was the number one seed and Adams dumped him out. Okay. So Kramnik was a, an early flowerer. <laughs> I don't know. How you... <laughs> he was he was good from an early age. Oh, Kramnik was um, world elite <laughs> from about age 16, 17, yeah. Oh, wow, okay. Our friend Tony Miles played in this as well, actually. Did our friend Lee Chess play in it? Our friend... Did, our friend... Nor did our friend Rick, though I am using my our friend Rick to help with this. Miles lost to Krasenkov in the uh, round of round of sixty four in this. How old was how old was Tony Miles at this point? Presumably his, So his powers were waning. At it was this his point. last. Well, he was seeded forty for this, which is not okay. bad. Um, but yeah, what was he, his highest ranking? He got quite high, didn't he? Well, number three 10. or four, yeah. Oh wow! Any ideas, Chris? No, I've got nothing. I'm afraid. It's Alexander Kalifman. Ah. Yes. Which, given John probably hasn't heard of him, suggests that the FIDE World Championship method wasn't perhaps not the best. Because, <laughs> it, yeah, it was just, it was really, it was quite, it was, I don't know what the, the, the sort of the worst of the boxing world championship uh, organisations is, but it was like that, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we so how long did that period last for that, that they split? 93 to 2005. 
It's like when the uh, it's like when the the pope the the pope split, didn't they? They they had popes all around Europe in the in the Middle Ages. There was one in one of the southern was it Aix en Provence? They had one there, and they had one in northern Italy. And yeah, who was the reunification chess pope in two thousand five? Who won that one? <laughs> uh, was that not to Parlov Kramnik, the one with the toilet paper? Um... <laughs> oh no, no. What it what it was was it, was it not the tournament? The reunification was. Yeah, they just had an eight-player tournament, which DePaulov won, I think. Tell me the toilet paper story. It seems quite relevant <laughs> at the moment. Well, that happened a bit later, I think, where there was thought that the toilet paper in Kramnik's toilet or DePaulov's toilet had had moves printed on it, like opening lines. I'm somewhat alarmed that John has got toilet paper to hand already and is unfurling. You can't let anyone get away with your toilet paper, can you? So. He's unfurling a roll in his <laughs> webcam as we speak. <laughs> I've actually just got that wrong. Uh, it was 2006 was the um, reunification, but Tapalov won the event before it to qualify against Kramnik for it, and then that was that was the uh, the toilet paper match. So I think that brings us to the end of the podcast. The usual housekeeping stuff applies, of course. If you like what we do, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Chess Pit Pod. Do we have a Facebook? Uh, yeah, we do have a Facebook. Chess Pit Pod as Which well. Is Chess Pit Pod. And we now have bonus material going out on Twitch, and our Twitch is twitch.tv forward slash Chess Pit Pod as well, I suspect. Yep, it um, is. Because we are nothing short of continuous. Everything that we do makes sense. We are reasonable men, and that is why we play chess. Nothing else to do other than to say thank you to our sponsors. So thank you to Playfair Capital, who generally provide us with a recording space in normal times. Playfair Capital is one of London's leading venture capital funds. And so all that is left for me to do is to bid my two compatriots farewell and to say thank you to Phil Makepeace. Stay safe. And Chris Russell. Thanks very much. Chat to you next week. Bye.